I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Welcome back. Welcome back. Do we have business? I don't think I don't so. I think so. Not today. No business. That's great. That means we can jump right in. Yes. I just want to give a disclaimer. Oh. This case is a bit trial heavy. So I, I hope I don't bore anybody, but you know. That's what it is. Yeah. The crime itself is pretty meh, uneventful okay. in a in a way. But I found this case interesting. Well, one is from Ohio. Ohio. My home state. And two, it's interesting because it comes down to very specific science. Okay. Now, I, of course, don't understand half of it because it, I mean, I understand it basically, but I don't go into like the boring, super scientific details, but it's just a matter of understanding like why this person was convicted has a lot to do with the science behind stuff. Okay. So it's kind of, it's complicated. It's a complicated case. But anyway, some people still believe that he's innocent. He maintains that he's innocent. All right. So there's a lot to the trial, appeals, etc. But I found it very interesting. All right. Well, put on your thinking caps. So this is a STEM dive episode. Dive in and definitely one of those episodes that you want to keep like even small details in mind as I'm walking through the story. Okay. I'm going to take notes. Which is really good for us because we just came back from lunch and so savannah's like half asleep so i'm waking up i'm fine i'm here <laughs> all right this is a good lunch if you're ready i am seriously gonna take notes okay mark wangler yes you heard wang. that right wang wang wangler okay all right well that'll come back up i'm sure yeah yes i'm sure <laughs> Uh, he grew up in the small town of Fort Recovery, Ohio. Okay. It was there that he met his future wife, Kathleen, when she was visiting her grandparents. When her family came back for their next visit, Mark appeared again and brought his guitar to serenade Kathy. To sing at her. To sing at her. Anyway, they began dating, and a few years later... In 1977, to be exact, they got married. Mark was just 21, but Kathy was only 18. Oh, okay. But this was in the 70s. That wasn't uncommon. Yeah, okay. Like, they're actually just a little bit younger than my parents, and that was pretty typical to get married young. Okay. I mean, sure. (laughs) I mean, sure. It was a beautiful wedding, and according to Kathy's mom, they were, quote, as happy as two people I've ever seen. That's kind of a weird phrase. Despite getting married in a Catholic church, Mark had already developed interest in the evangelical Christian faith. Mark also already knew what his plans were in life, and they were ambitious. He wanted to be the president. No, not that ambitious. He wanted to be the manager of a (laughs) 7-Eleven. A little higher. Okay. He wanted to be the manager of a Pier 41. He (laughs) He wanted to be a doctor. Okay. So after getting married, Kathy worked while he went to medical school. Money was obviously tight, but Mark claims that they were happy through those years. Once he got licensed and began his practice, they expanded their family. Despite a lifelong battle with epilepsy, Kathy gave birth to two healthy boys, Nathan and Aaron. I'm not sure the age difference between the two boys exactly, um, but based on like the photos and home movies that I found in my resources, it appears they were pretty close in age. I'm okay. guessing somewhere around two years apart. Okay. I mean, that's like a normal age gap. Yeah. The Wanglers then moved to Lima, Ohio in 1990. Like the bean? Yes. I love lima beans. <laughs> I, I actually really do like lima beans. So Lima Bean, Ohio. <laughs> and by then they had fully immersed themselves in the evangelical faith. 
They appeared to be the perfect family. Mark's practice was successful. Kathy had the opportunity to go back to school and did some substitute teaching. They made plenty of money to do all the things they couldn't early on in their marriage. Yeah, pretty normal. A former neighbor who knew the couple fairly well described Mark as, quote, more reserved but a patient and caring man. She went on to say that he would help anyone in a heartbeat. And while a bit dorky and peculiar, once you got to know Mark, he was the most wonderful person you could ever meet. She went on to describe Kathy as fun to be around, bubbly. She had a crazy laugh, and she just generally loved life. Okay. Now, obviously, by what we know so far, Mark and Kathleen Wangler had been blissfully married. Yeah. I mean, white picket fence. For 29 years. Oh, that's a long time. It all came to a screeching halt on September 4th, 2006. At 5.18 a.m., Mark called 911, exclaiming that the carbon monoxide alarm was going off and that his wife was having a seizure. She has epilepsy, so... Bingo. Yeah. As the dispatcher walked him through checking her breathing and pulse, which, of course, he didn't really need that, but they didn't know that at the time. He is a doctor, after all. Mark informed them that he could no longer find a pulse and that he was going to begin CPR. Okay. Within approximately four minutes, first responder Chief Joseph Kitchen arrived. I love that name. His name I, is Kitchen. I, kitchen. I'm, I'm trying to make a kitchen <laughs> joke, but I can't find a good one. I yet. know. We're, we keep getting really good names lately. I know. <laughs> As he entered the home, Chief Kitchen heard the carbon monoxide alarm still sounding off. And then he found Kathy lying partially on an air mattress with her legs out on the floor. Okay. I'm I'm drawing it for you. You're drawing. (laughs) Yeah, look. So there she is on the air mattress and then her her legs. Just just her her legs legs. on the floor. Yes. Correct. Where were her hands? Well, I imagine they're just at her side or something. I'm a sketch artist now. So the chief confirmed her vital signs and began CPR after sliding her to the floor. To get like an even surface. I can imagine that it would be hard to do CPR on an air mattress. So you would need Anybody to Anybody that's it. taken CPR should know. Or even if you just watched the office episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, <Yes>. Clarice. <laughs> yes. Like they need to be on a hard, firm surface. Yeah. Not a mattress. You need to put the wang on a firm surface. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying this. So many funny. There's too many jokes to choose from here, friends. So one minute after Chief Kitchen gets there and starts performing CPR, the EMS arrived and began more advanced life support procedures. The cardiac monitor Kathy was placed on showed she w- had already flatlined. Okay. But... They transported her to Lima Memorial Hospital, reportedly arriving around 5.45 a.m. Okay. I'm drawing a bean. (laughs) Bean in a hospital? Bean with a cross on it. (laughs) I love love lima beans. I have high hopes for this. I really do. Really do. They're like my legume of choice. (laughs) I'm really hoping for high hopes for this hospital. Well, the hospital's fine. Okay. Yeah, I will say they they did they did a good job, I think. The ER doctor determined that Kathy was dead upon arrival, but she was officially declared dead at 5:54 a.m. So she was there about 10 minutes before she was declared. Not yeah. yes. Yes. For them to check everything and say, "Okay, she, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've tried literally everything we can. Yeah. So Mark was also transported to the hospital and was treated for carbon monoxide poisoning. But his levels were nowhere near Kathy's levels. Hmm. He was then released at 10.54 a.m. Okay. I know somebody who's had carbon monoxide poisoning before. Really? I do. Yeah pretty it's gnarly it is gnarly yeah so for him to get in the hospital and then get released like just hours later 
It really wasn't that bad for him. No, yeah. I mean, he was disoriented and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, trying to think it was, I don't know if they know if they want their stuff aired, but the person I know they were in, I mean, they were like ICU for a while. It was really bad. Yeah. So during Mark's interview with investigators, he told them that the furnace and water heater in their house was just two years old but that sometimes the wind would blow out the water heater's pilot light. And so he's assuming that that's the culprit. I don't know what that means, pilot light. So, yeah, everything's electric in Florida. Okay, so this being in Ohio, Mm -hmm. most of your stuff is run off of gas, not electric. Mm -hmm. So you have just, have you ever used a gas stove before? So the pilot light is like, when you turn on a stove and you hear that little click, 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 before, click, 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 yeah, yeah, or like if you go like you lose electric, but you have a gas stove, it doesn't have the the electric part of a gas stove is like what lights it is. Okay. It is that clicking sound, so you have to you'd have to turn it on and light it with a lighter to get it okay. to start burning. If you didn't have electric on a stove like that, so. The pilot light is the little flame that then heats up, you know. So if it's running to start heating up the Mm -hmm. water heater and then it blows the flame out, he's saying that, you know, the air comes through and blows the flame out and then it's just basically releasing gases. You learn something new every day. Yes. So in later interview... Mark claimed to not remember being told that Kathy was dead, but their neighbor that I mentioned earlier had followed them to the hospital and was with him at the time. And she described him as being devastated and that he, like, started crying into his hands. Okay. Later on at the trial, the ER doctor actually testifies that he was dramatic, like, he was acting as if he was crying, but she didn't actually see physical symptoms of yeah. crying. So, yeah, just keep that in mind, hmm. I guess. Nevertheless, we now have a death. So the firefighters begin investigating. Yeah. Because they're not going to just say, oh, he thinks it's the water heater, so it's the water heater. Yeah, that's not how this works. Yes. And they actually began as soon as Kathy and Mark were transported to the hospital. They stayed. They, of course, at the very least, they had to make sure that the house would now be safe Mm -hmm. for people to enter. The firefighter on site measured the carbon monoxide levels in the basement and the second floor bedroom where Kathy was sleeping. The areas near the water heater and the furnace measured the same as the rest of the basement okay so that's an indication to them if i'm understanding my sources correctly that's kind of an indication they didn't really find a source yeah they didn't have anything that's like oh it's stronger here it must be coming from here so eventually they're able to clear everything out the firefighting investigators then say okay We can go in and actually check everything. Mm -hmm. They go and take a closer look at all of the appliances and the fireplaces in the house. Everything appeared to be in working order. While inspecting the room Kathy had been sleeping, the detective found, quote, soot-like markings on the wall directly above an air register that was located in the floor. Okay. In the master bedroom where Mark had been sleeping, the detective noticed a, quote, pungent sulfur-like odor that seemed to be coming from the master bath. Okay. When he entered the bathroom, he noticed a fan had been placed on the floor, pointed into the bathroom, and the window open in the bathroom. Upon inspection, he found that the carpet around the toilet was wet. So, they called out an inspector from the gas company who was tasked with finding where exactly the carbon monoxide leak was coming from since they couldn't find it. 
The inspector found no issue in the home, but did find a code violation concerning the height of the water heaters flew outside the home. Okay. I mean, in general, I think most people kind of understand what a flu is. But yeah, but... In case you're not familiar, you've never had fireplaces and stuff, but a flu is basically a ventilation system, if you will, to allow the gases, the extra or excess gases, out into the air. And the height of their flu going up and outside of the house was not as tall as it should be, essentially, is what that inspector was saying. All right. So the inspector says, raise your flu. Yes. Now, the next day, on September 5th, an autopsy and toxicology report determined that Kathy did, in fact, die from acute carbon monoxide poisoning, and the forensic pathologist opined that she died one to two hours before arriving at the hospital. Oh, that math ain't mathin', mm-hmm. because my timestamp's saying differently. Yes. The sheriff's department then hired an engineer from a forensic investigation firm to do their own investigation and further testing. That engineer also found everything in working order. Sorry, that kind of maybe didn't flow right, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna pause and explain. Like, obviously, I'm back on the house. I'm just kind of going in chronological yeah, order. That's fine. Which is why we're kind of bouncing around because everything's sort of ha- happening at the same time. So the engineer that was hired, the forensics engineer, if you will, also found everything in working order at the house, but did note that the flu from the water heater was, again, in violation of code, and noted that under the right conditions... That could possibly allow a backdraft through to the the water heater vent back into the home, but said that additional testing on the vent performance under different outdoor conditions would yeah. be required. How long had they lived in this house? Do you know? This particular house, I don't know exactly, but like I kind of got the impression that they had been there for a long time. They yeah, had, they, just- it wasn't new to them. It's just that. weird that they would have run into this situation. Like, it sounds really specific to the home, like to this house. Yeah. I don't know if it was the first and only home that they moved into okay. in 1990, but I know that they lived there at least for several years prior because their sons lived there when they were, like, in high school, mm-hmm. and now their sons are, like, away at college and stuff at this point. Yeah. So they've been so, there. They've been there long enough to know, you know... Yes, and he had told police that the water heater was two years old, so it was new, like newer, but not so new that like, oh, we just got this and it's faulty and it's, you know, like. Yeah, you've had time to like work out the kinks, so. Okay. I don't know enough about water heaters. Well, I mean. We don't need water heaters because global warming is so bad that the pipes in my house don't get cold. (laughs) Like no legit, I can't I get know, cold water told right now. Me. So it's it's so That's hot. Ridiculous. It, yeah. So I don't need a water heater. That's frightening. It, it honestly is absolutely terrifying. The investigators noted that Mark's level of carbon monoxide poisoning may have been so much lower because he was sleeping with the windows open and a fan blowing in the master bedroom if you remember they had found the fan in the window and he admitted to them that he also had a towel under the door why would you have a towel under your door on a regular normal day well mark explained by stating that the carpet around the toilet was wet because the toilet overflowed And he was trying to dry out the carpet with the fan and the window being open, but he wanted to keep that smell out of the rest of the house. Okay. Which the investigator did note, you know, as I said, like a pungent sort of sulfury smell. I wrote poop in master bath smell. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So lastly, that um, engineer 
also noted that they could not exclude the possibility that one of many vehicles in the Wanglers had been in the attached garage and could have been running. So the setup of their house, this is a little bit tricky because the setup of their house is a little strange from what I could get. Okay. Um, One of my resources is a Dateline episode, which if you watch that episode... They do kind of show you like um, like a floor plan, sort of like a floor plan, and they show you how it would have all been possible. But basically, in their basement, they had two sets of stairs. One of the sets of stairs went up into the house. Mm-hmm. One of the sets went directly into an attached garage. Oh, yes. That's interesting. Okay. That's different. Like, I'm from Ohio. I've never seen such a thing. Mm-hmm. So they literally map out like how it would have been possible that if a car was running in the garage, how it carbon monoxide from the vehicles could Mm -hmm. have floated down into the basement, getting in the heating system and then being blown up into the house. This is so interesting because it's like there's, there is a scientific way. It's just crazy. Yes. Yeah. According to Mark, though. It was around this time in the investigation that he was supposedly told that they believe Kathy's death to be accidental. Okay. Now, I want to back up for just a second because I realized that I left out kind of a key detail. And I think when I was writing this, I was debating of putting it in or not because if you don't know, like, the levels of carbon monoxide poisoning... Like how it's context, yeah. But I know that she she was at sixty nine percent. Okay, and that's... Mark was like very low. I think he was only at like twelve percent or something like that. So the levels in her system were it. It wasn't just like double his. It was significant, significantly more than his. Hmm. So interesting. Well. Kathy's family wasn't having it. Okay. Her mother called detectives stating that they wanted answers and weren't getting any from Mark. Her family also had suspicions of Mark because they knew what others didn't. Oh, what do others not know? The Wanglers weren't so perfect after all. Really? According to Kathy's family... Mark had had an affair, and from that point on, the marriage went downhill. I mean, they were sleeping in separate bedrooms, so I kind of assumed. I will say, he did admit to police that they had been having some marital issues, but it he definitely initially downplayed it. I don't believe he ever admitted to having an affair. I don't know that he did have an affair, mm-hmm. but he did admit that they were having some marital issues and that... That's why she was in a different bedroom. Okay. So her family told police that basically Mark complained of Kathy's depression, weight gain, and spending of money. They told Dateline of a specific time of one of the last family events that Kathy, Mark, and their boys attended, where it ended with Kathy and Mark fighting, and it turned into quite a spectacle when Kathy tried to leave with the boys and Mark was literally holding on to the car, trying to stop them. Um. Kathy continued to drive, yelling at him until one of their boys jumped out of the car. Because at that point, their boys were young adults. Yeah, I mean, desperate moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Months into the investigation, the case was transferred to a senior detective, and after reading the files, he decided, no, I'm thinking this is not an accident, and he decided further action was needed. Okay. So in April of 2007, a search warrant was executed, and investigators seized several items, including computers, data storage devices, documents, journals, cash credit cards, jewelry, and books. Leave the man's library alone. (laughs) His books? Yeah, I'm not sure. Was he reading how to poison somebody with carbon monoxide? 
No. I'm not sure what the books were. Yeah. And and you'll figure out why it we'll get to that. Okay. The lead detective noticed many things amongst the evidence seized, but was especially taken aback by the journals. Mark was clearly unhappy, and entries within his journals stated he contemplated suicide by car exhaust. Hmm. There's also you know, that's really, really similar to um how his wife dies. Yeah. That's what he was thinking. Yeah. There's also one fact about Mark I have yet to mention. He wasn't just any old doctor. He was a rather experienced and successful anesthesiologist. <gasps> and we're dealing with gases. He literally put people to sleep for a living. Literally. Which may have had everything to do with detectives' suspicions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so. So, based on what they found through the first search warrant, a second search warrant was executed in November of 2007 for a variety of items, including ductwork, the register from Kathy's bedroom or the bedroom she was sleeping in, and a piece of carpet from around that register. What's a register? Um, like the air vent, but in okay. Ohio- in northern states, a lot of times they're built into the floors so yeah. that the hot air they're, is they're, like starts low and works its way they're up. built in the floors and where i'm from but i didn't yeah. know they were called registers yeah that's one okay. name for them i just call them vents vents <laughs> one time when i was a kid i dropped a necklace and the vent oh my gosh my kids when we moved out of our house mm-hmm. in ohio so because our house was built in 1926 so the vent they weren't on the floor they were at the bottom of the wall, like around oh. by the baseboard, but they were very large. Like mm-hmm. you could, st- they could stick their little hands inside, so they would hide little toys in there from each other. Little dragons and little, just all the little things, all the little accessories to things. Anyway. They were unable to test a sample of markings that. They had seen on the wall the soot marks mm-hmm. on the wall because it had by that time it had been painted over. Okay, that's convenient. But those items that they did grab were taken and sent to a lab for testing in January of 2008. But it wasn't until September of 2009 that the lab forwarded their report back to the sheriff's office with the conclusion that the soot collected from the ductwork contained molecular tracers commonly found in soot emitted from an engine. Bruh. (laughs) Why did it take so long to get back there? Like I said, because several months went by, the initial detectives sort of did think, like, well, Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of evidence pointing towards, Mm -hmm. like, us proving that it wasn't accidental. Or coincidental, but once it landed months later on this new detective's desk, he was like, or not new, he was just, yeah, new, on the just case. new on the case. He was very experienced. So he, they just didn't. It didn't sit well with him, so he pushed forward. And then as far as the testing That's goes, really what I meant is the okay. testing. So the testing, we'll, kind of, we'll get into it during the trial stuff, but the testing was done at a lab outside of their state it was sent to wisconsin i think um and they performed tests similar to this but they had never done this specific testing on duct work all right so i think it just took them a long time because they were like dotting their eyes crossing their fair enough i appreciate that yeah so side note it may or may not have anything to do with anything All right. But I'm sure that this little tidbit that happened while all this investigating is going on doesn't, it doesn't look great. And it definitely didn't sit well with Kathy's family. All right. But just a little bit after Kathy's death, Mark began openly dating an old friend he had reconnected with. And then he married her just 14 months after Kathy's death. 
Wow. That's, I mean, they were married for 29 years. Yes. 29 years of your life with the same person, and you get married a little over a year after they tragically and horrifically pass away. Yes. I mean, everybody grieves in different ways. I mean, it's one, to me, it's one of those things like it could mean something, it could not, yeah. because I will say statistically, men are much quicker to remarry when they're widowed. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants me to go on a tangent as to why yeah, I think that is. We won't. But do that. like, I'm sure you can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but convenient that it was an old friend, probably somebody that he had told Kathy not to worry about. They make it sound like they had reconnected, like they hadn't been in touch okay. for a very long time, like they knew each other years and years and years ago. But I, I don't know all the details on that. It just, it's clear in the news stories and, and whatnot mm-hmm. that a lot of people are uncomfortable about that yeah. fact. And my number one concern when I hear that is, what do your kids think? Mm-hmm. And at least one of his sons was okay with it. Okay. My guess. So it might be legit. I don't really know. Like I said, it may mean something. It may mean nothing. But I think it's an important point to as to why yeah. there's people that say, yes, he looks guilty. Some people are like, no, that doesn't really mean that. So, all right. So as I warned, it's a bit trial heavy. On September 17th, 2009, three years. Wow. After her passing, a grand jury indicted Mark on one count of aggravated murder. He entered a plea of not guilty. In November of 2009, Mark filed pretrial motions to suppress property seized during those two search warrants. Okay. After a suppression hearing and a review of additional briefs, the court requested by both parties the court overruled Mark's motions. In August of 2010, Mark filed another pretrial motion requesting the lab results and the testimony of the lab employee be excluded because the testing was neither scientifically reliable nor relevant. But I think it is quite relevant. Yeah, the relevancy you can't argue thing. relevancy here. And the reason that they're saying it's not reliable is because, as I said... The lab had never conducted that specific kind of test on that specific material. It it was a unique situation. Yeah, but you can't expect it to always be like fit right into the cookie cutter right. science. Like sometimes they ha- that is science is figuring it out and like Yes. So another hearing proceeded in September of 2010, and the court overruled that motion as well. On February 28th, 2011. Holy crap, that's five years after she passed away. jury trial finally proceeded. Holy crap. Now, the prosecution contended that what they did find in evidence was enough to prove that Mark Wangler had both motive, knowledge, and means to kill Kathy without seriously harming himself. Besides the things we've already discussed... The prosecution presented the following in court. Forensically speaking, they retested the water heater several times over a long period of time, and it never showed signs of malfunctioning. Yeah, that felt like, I mean, I understood what he was saying, and I understand the the premise of it being like, it could leak gas, I guess, but it was definitely a reach. Also, it's not mentioned, but I assume that he never had the flu or anything updated or fixed it because otherwise, how would they have tested it? Yeah. So, obviously, he wasn't super concerned about that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because he and his new wife lived there. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird to me. Living in the same oh, I know. house that oh, your yeah. wife oh, yeah. died in and oh, yeah. you were together for I, and your I've kids had lived there. Yep. Yep. You raise kids in the house yep. with somebody. Uh, nope. I've had that discussion with my husband. No. No. I, and I think like both of both you and I are pretty like, I don't know. Me, I, I know I am very nesty. Yeah. Like very much maternal. Like this is my home. This is where I've, I've created a safe place for our family. Mm-hmm. 
don't you dare bring another woman in there. Like, if you absolutely had to because you didn't have the means to move, okay. I, I but would, you know all I her furniture like and all her stuff is there. I still might like, come back and haunt you a little bit. I'm going to haunt you a lot. <laughs> Nicholas <laughs> Clay, if you're listening to me, <laughs> if I die and you bring somebody else into my house with all of my decorations and my stuff and she starts changing crap, yeah, not the vibes. You can't mess with the aesthetics. <laughs> I will haunt you so bad. My ghost will be all up in your grill. <laughs> Literally, you're going to be cooking and I'm going to burn your food <laughs> by turning the heat up. That's right. I'm sentencing you to burnt food forever. She will be the worst cook. <laughs> and I'm actually a pretty good cook, but I will destroy everything you make. No, I mean the new woman. She'll be, oh, yeah. She'll be the, she'll worst, be the cook. worst cook ever because it's just me burning stuff. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that decision, but nevertheless. The prosecution presented a theory that Mark had closed all the heating vents in the room, I'm sorry, in the home, except for the one in Kathy's room, closed key doors in the basement, and left the door from the garage to the basement open so when he ran the engine of either vehicles, a generator, or possibly both... Because they found two vehicles and a generator and like a UTV thing in their garages. If you're running those, all that carbon monoxide will only have one path to go. It would go down into the basement after filling the garage, make its way over to the part of the basement where the furnace was located, and then blow strongest into the second floor bedroom, the only open vent. It's in all, the house. It's all reaching is what I don't Which like. Which was right next to, she was on an air mattress that was literally right next to that vent. Two things, two comments. Number one, everything's a bit of a stretch. Like, yeah. we don't have proof that he closed off all the vents, right? No. The, so. This is their theory. I, and, I, and I can get behind that. But number two, and this is totally being personal. If you're the one who had the affair, why is she on an air mattress? <laughs> Oh, I thought about that, but I wasn't. I'm just, I'll say it out loud. I'll say the quiet part out loud. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I have the same thought. So though they had not been able to test the soot on the wall in the bedroom, they had photo evidence that they presented. Now, I'm not an expert, but to me, it did in fact appear to come from the heat register. As it started, literally, it was darkest right at the baseboard okay. above the register. Yeah. And then it, like, gradually widened across the wall in a V-shape while also getting lighter the further up it went. Because it came from the register. Like, this, I get annoyed with this in law when you have to over-explain yes. obvious things. Like, they have to prove that that came from that vent. Yes. And that's so annoying because any human with eyes can look at that and go... Yeah, it came from the vent. Well, that and the testing inside the vent, inside the ductwork showed, okay, well, this chemical component of the soot yeah, it's matches stupid. that of an engine. So it's all kind of lining up, right? Yeah. Well, they moved on to the circumstantial evidence in that Mark had, in fact, been so unhappy with Kathy's spending because... She had racked up tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt without his knowledge. Okay, well, maybe that's why she's on the air mattress. She was not only hiding stuff she bought, like, after she died, he actually did notify the cops that he got into her car and, like, had found all this jewelry and some cash wow. and credit cards and stuff that she was, like, keeping in her, like, the trunk of her car or something. Ugh. Wait, he's an anesthesiologist and they're in debt? She had to be spending a ton of money. She was. She was depressed, but her family believed that it was because she was so unhappy. Because uh, yeah. he had had an affair, she was so unhappy that this is what she's doing to cope. She did gain a lot of weight. She is buying all these things. You know, kind of allude like, no, she wasn't happy either. But I'll I'm get, just impressed I'll get on to the, their theory on. I'm just impressed on the level of spending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, for them to be so 
far in debt, and I, you know how much anesthesiologists are. They, yes. they make good money. Yes, they do. So she had also been hiding cash that she had taken from their joint account. I'm just going to throw this little theory out there. A theory? Okay. As a married woman okay. who has been a stay-at-home mom on and off throughout my marriage, even when I am working, I'm not the primary breadwinner, if you will. He makes way more money than me. And I know plenty of other women who have been in the same situation and not been happy in their marriages, but they feel trapped financially. Yeah. Okay. I question if her spending what and like buying because she bought a lot of jewelry and was like putting in her truck. It's all resellable. It, yes. Mm-hmm. You can only pull so much cash out of an account without him noticing. But if you're like racking stuff up on credit cards, you have the stuff, but then you're going to end up like he's going to ultimately have to deal with that debt. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I kind of wonder if it was her trying to. She was back riding money. Try and find a way out. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. And the other reason I question that is because they even presented it in court, I believe, that according to Kathy's family, they testified that she would not leave Mark because she was scared that he would cut her off financially Mm -hmm. and that she wouldn't be able to make it on her own. Prosecution contended that Mark would not divorce her because of his faith, but more importantly, because it would have damaged his reputation and standing in the church. Yeah. While not a smoking gun... To me, the prosecution had a strong case. The soot makes sense. Yeah. You look at the picture of the register vent, it makes sense. You know, how do you have such a bad carbon monoxide issue in a house where one person is like really dead dead from it and the other person walks away after a couple hours? That's questionable. Is it? Because. Well. I don't think I just. It's not always it's not always that cut and dry with carbon no, monoxide poisoning. It's not. Yeah. So but it's, it's questionable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I I'm just saying it this whole case is very oh my gosh. It could go either it way. It could go either way. Right? Now on to the defense. The defense contended that the jury would absolutely find a reasonable doubt. Because the prosecution had used, quote, poor police work and, quote, junk science in their case. That's not very nice. They also claimed that they would present evidence in which the jury may even find that it was, in fact, the water heater. So the defense first called both Nathan and Aaron to the stand, their sons. Yeah, that's rude. Don't do that. Well, they're adults. Still. And they're willing to testify. Both of them testified on the great character of their father and that they believed their parents loved each other and that he could never have done such a thing. Well, no shot. The defense challenged the journal evidence that was presented, pointing out that Mark also regularly wrote about working on the marriage. He wrote that he prayed for both Kathy individually and for their marriage to improve. So it wasn't just, yeah. I hate my wife. You know, it it was, eh, you it, know, it, yeah. again, it could go either way. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of a journal is to write your feelings. And if he had negative feelings, and a lot of it was, the detective was the one who sort of presented, if you will, testified to the evidence in the journal. He very much made it sound like, oh, he was a man at his wit's end. But but there's other entries. There's like, other entries that say... It's cherry-picking a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So the defense also challenged the ER doctor on her determination that Kathy had been dead for some time before arriving to the hospital because her notes contradicted the nurse's. So hmm. the, the nurse's notes stated that Kathy's temperature was 95.5. But the doctor noted 94 degrees. Okay. Now, 
I didn't get into like researching, well, how fast does Yeah, that's like really a body lose that much, you know, lose their temperature. But it was, you know, they're just trying to poke holes in Yeah. All they need is a reasonable doubt. So I mean, the doctor could have taken the temperature with a blanket on her and then the nurse took it without one, like or the other way around. Like it, that's such a small difference. I wouldn't I don't yes. know professionally, you yeah. know. It and that's probably not the only thing that made her say that she had been dead for more than two hours. And this isn't even the doctor that said that. That was the coroner or so like the medical examiner. You can't examiner. even say that because it's different right. notes. So it's two different. Like the ER doctor just noted several signs that like she was already dead. Like no, they're just, she started yeah. to have the pooling of blood on her back, and you know, well, she was laying on an air mattress, and like it, she's moved around a lot. I don't. Yeah, yeah. And the temperature difference, did the, the nurse probably saw Kathy before the doctor mm-hmm. did. She's technically already dead, but she took her temperature right when she got there. And then the doctor comes in a few minutes later. And by then, like, and hospitals are cold. Yeah, I'm calling BS on that on that point. Like, it's fine. I get I get what you're saying. You're you're you're, you know, trying to find that reasonable doubt in somebody's head, but not mine. They then called a leading forensic pathologist to testify that Kathy's heart could have stopped exactly when Mark said it did during the 911 call. The defense attorney then focused on the lab that was hired to perform the testing on the ductwork. He contended that bigger firms and agencies, including the FBI and the Ohio State Criminal Lab, refused to do the testing, citing that it was unreliable. Okay. The lab that conducted the test, based in Wisconsin, agreed to try it, as I said, even though they had never technically done those exact tests on that exact material. Okay. So, he questioned the lab's representative whether they ever considered other sources of soot, like candles, to which the answer was no. Not on the floor. Wait for it. Okay. However, Aaron Wangler testified that the bedroom that Kathy died in was his former room, and he regularly lit candles in that room as a teenager. He testified that the soot marks they saw on the wall had been there for years and were caused by him burning candles. Apparently, very short candles on floor that is carpeted (laughs) okay like directly against the wall too yeah yeah. like (laughs) i so i'm not saying it's not possible to me it's just what i know about candle soot and no it how it works like it's i'm sorry no it, it just seems a odd place for candle soot aaron also testified that kathy herself burnt candles in the home regularly which the defense maintained may be an explanation for the soot buildup in the ductwork. Okay, in the ductwork, maybe. But, like, that's a lot of soot, I think. That's a lot. Yeah. You'd have to burn a lot. And what kind of candles are you burning? Because, uh, hold on. Actually, now that I think about this, let's back up. Because what kind of candle wax produces that much soot? The only really cheap ones, apparently. yeah, and like the only kind that the only thing that I burn that ever produces any soot is actually a tiki torch that's like a little t- like a tabletop tiki torch that we use for mm-hmm. mosquitoes on our back porch, yeah, and that's running on pure like basically like gasoline like lighter fluid, yeah, it's that it's yeah. not running on wax, but like I don't have any candles that that's what I'm saying. Candles produce such a small amount of soot. Like candles of yesteryear probably yeah. produced more, but candles today, this candles is, even in the early yeah. 2000s, like the only time you saw soot is if you had a Yankee candle and the cover yeah. and you put the cover on, on before, it. Yeah. It, before it completely dies out, then yes, you're going to see soot all in there. But there's such a small amount, like how much must you be burning? So it's just, again, yeah. again, it's one of those, it's not that it's not possible, but it's just questionable it's not gonna be my first thought yeah yeah it's more likely that the anesthesiologist 
put his wife to sleep. <laughs> like, that's way more likely to me. So next, the defense called an environmental toxologist to testify. He claimed that the water heater was a disaster waiting to happen. Oh, really? Because that's not what the other two experts said when they looked at it. They just said something about the flu. He explained that he found many code violations and noted that it was possibly problematic that the water heater location was directly below the bedroom that Kathy was sleeping in. He contended that the fact that the water heater was in a sealed cabinet, which I did think was weird from the get-go, it didn't allow, like, it was like in this, Hmm. just like a cutout of the wall, if Hmm. you will. It didn't have, like, a door where there's, like, cracks around it. It just, it's, like, sealed in there. Like, you put up this piece of wood that had, like, wallpaper to, you know, so that it just sort of blended in. That is weird. There wouldn't have been much of an airflow in that little space. But he's saying that that could have deprived it from oxygen, creating an issue of carbon monoxide buildup. Okay. He explained that the ventilation was an issue, not just in the size or, you know, height of the flu, but that the vent cap was the wrong kind. And so it's entirely possible that carbon monoxide could have backed up into the home. Okay. Okay. So there's there's the facts, or most of them. All right. I I am with you. The jury deliberated for just a day and a half. Oh. And on March 16th, 2011, they found Mark guilty. Okay. He was sentenced to life in prison with eligibility of parole after 25 years. Okay. Of course, there were audible gasps and tears from both sides of the courtroom, while Mark remained rather composed and kind of stone-faced. Hmm. He's an interesting guy. Like, yeah, you, I don't think that that's necessarily that strange. You don't, you don't get like I don't get like an evil vibe from him, but you can definitely tell like he's not an emotional person. My thing is just like he looks exactly like what I thought he would look like. By the way, exactly <laughs> what I thought he would look like. You know what's crazy? His son Aaron, who actually like you'll find lots of pictures of him because he's the one that was very outspoken about his dad being okay. innocent. He actually, to me, kind of looks like Adore Delano. The son, Aaron? Yeah. And he doesn't sound too much different from Adore Delano. Party. Party. <laughs> I mean, he's more well-spoken yeah. than that. But, I mean, his actual voice. Oh, interesting. Yes. Here's my thoughts before we get into, I'm sure there's going to be appeals. Yes. I don't know if if I was on a jury, if I could say that I had no reasonable doubt. Okay. Because I, I think, here's, here's my thing. Here's what yep. I'm going to say. I'm going to get into that. I think you did it. Okay. But I do think that there's so much wiggle room yes. on all of the evidence that I don't think I could say without being in contempt of court or committing perjury. Right. That there that I had no reason that beyond a reasonable doubt, I think that he did it. Okay. I have lots of reasonable doubts. So according to three jurors who were interviewed after the trial, it didn't really come down to the science after all. Oh. Apparently, two or three of the jurors had working knowledge of water heaters and furnaces. Oh. So as they deliberated. They gave the other jurors their insight as to how it could or could not have happened. And everyone agreed within just a couple hours that it could not have been the faulty water heater. Okay, see, and I like that better than than three experts. You know, I think that truly talking to your peers in a jury Mm -hmm. who know what they say they know is going to be more influential than an expert because we're human. And, and you've been around these people and talking to these people and eating lunch with these people. Yeah. Here's the part that, for me, the science of it all and the water heater, all of that, I would have been so anxiety-ridden yeah. if it just came down to that because, yeah, I would have felt like there's reasonable doubt. Like, mm-hmm. I don't – but the jurors that were interviewed also stated that it really came down to smaller details. So for me, this, this is we, the yeah. important part, including the 911 call. 
the determinations of professionals about her death. So Mm -hmm. the determination that they're like, yeah, no, she was dead for a while. Yeah. And detectives felt that way as well. Okay. See, the reason the detectives, one of the reasons that the detectives pushed so hard to get this evidence on the testing and everything else instead of just letting it go and calling it an accident was because they believed that the 911 call was sounding staged. Mm Mm-hmm. And I looked, you guys, I wanted to play that 911 call for us, but all I could find was like the very beginning clip, like oh, where yeah. you can't really, I just couldn't get a solid well, if chunk they pl- of if it. If they played it in court and it was evidence, it's probably sealed off somewhere. Yeah. Like Dateline has like just two little pieces of it. Yeah. So it's not, I couldn't find like the whole thing to where you'd really be able to tell what they're talking about. But basically like. The detective said, it sounds staged because they get 911 calls all the time where somebody has to perform CPR and they can hear the the rustling and the, the movements yeah, and the it's li- heavy it's, breathing from the person performing it because it's, it's very exhaustive to perform mm-hmm. CPR. It was also bizarre to everyone, myself included. That was the very first question that I asked is why would a doctor of all people, leave someone on an air mattress when he's supposedly doing CPR instead of dragging her to the floor like the I first responder the bed. only thing I'm going to say about that is that he's been an anesthesiologist for a long time. When was the last time he practiced like everyday medicine or ER medicine? True. I don't know what kind of, what kind of, you know, anesthesiologist he was or what he was yeah. doing in his hospital on a regular basis. So, on that front, but I still think but that you still have you've to get seen, you've seen CPR die every yeah. year or two. Yeah, you know. Do. So I don't know. You can hear that, me singing the Bee Gees if I had to do CPR. <laughs> like, there's no way. Yeah, but I agree it's basic. You. That's like basic foundation CPR stuff, which is what the testimony from the EMT was. Yeah, is, is you know the prosecuting attorney said. Is that not basic information? Yeah, he should know better. Or basic process for CPR, and they said, yes, it really is. Well, because there's literally no way you could do it on an air mattress. I'm sorry. Like, halfway on an air mattress? Yeah. How do you do that? I'm thinking about the logistics, and it's goofy. Like, he would have had to have been on top of her on the air mattress, but there's so much give. And yeah, so, I, and it's she'd just be clumpy. bouncing back up, yeah. and you're not getting as you, you have to really press hard to do CPR. Exactly. Ah, uh, exactly. Ah, uh, 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 staying alive. Now, when the uh, verdict was read, it was it was interesting. Like I said, there was all sorts of emotions, but I did note that Nathan, his other son, mm-hmm. I assume that he believed his dad was innocent because he testified in court. But I honestly don't know if he still actually believes that because the look on his face when mm. they read the verdict, he was completely motionless. He was like a cartoon character, like in wow. shock, like his eyes were huge and he was just sitting, staring straight ahead, motionless hmm. to the point that if I had been in that room and noticed it, I would have been like, are you okay? <laughs> Do we need to Do call you- do we need somebody? Do you need medical yeah. attention? Like, are you going to fall out, dude? Yeah. So, like I said, I have no idea where he stands afterwards because he's not going, he didn't go public the way yeah. Aaron did. But Kathy's family was obviously relieved. And her mother gave a statement in front of the court where she stated that they've always known Mark to be a selfish man who truly did not care for her daughter. Yes, Mark appealed. I'm actually going to shorten this a bit, so forgive me if I stumble a little bit because we've this has taken longer than I expected. Just after his, you know, trial, he of course filed for an acquittal, was denied. Uh, later, a little later that year, he filed his first appeal. It took until October of 2012. The Ohio Court of Appeals gave their decision, which was. No. Yeah. Psych, you thought? Basically, his appeal was just, you know, was just a repeat of what his pretrial motions were, Mm -hmm. essentially. 
with added that they had actually excluded the testimony of one defense expert witness. The reason for that and the appeal court agreed that the trial court did not abuse their discretion in excluding this man because he basically was found that he couldn't be an expert witness on that matter. And that was on the soot in the ductwork. Okay. This man claimed that the chemical components of engine soot and candle soot are similar in nature. It was to put doubt in the was it actually engine soot? Yeah. It still could have been candle soot. But they found that he couldn't really be considered um, an expert on the matter because he typically worked in, quote, solving fluid flow problems and porous media. So he worked with fluids more, not. Yeah. And he admitted on the stand that he hadn't specifically worked with soot before. And he had made his determinations with information he gathered from the internet and the library. So you're not an expert. You just did right. a little bit of research. And to me, how is that any different than the defense pointing out that that lab that detested the soot had never worked with ductwork? Yeah. They it's work not, with soot. It's not any different. They it's just really not. Yeah. They That's just, like saying I'm an expert in... <laughs> <laughs> There's Give no, her a minute. <laughs> I can't find a joke. I can't find the joke. <laughs> so the appellate court did say that though they may have come to a different conclusion in making the decision to allow teeters to testify. Yeah. Like they don't feel that the trial court abused their discretion, which is really all the appellate court can do. They can't yeah. change the trial court's decision just because their judges would have allowed his testimony. It's not a matter of that. It's and, a matter and, of... And if they didn't think that it was enough of an issue to cause a whole new fuss... Yes. Then it's really fine. Like, I don't think that him testifying would have changed anything. Yeah. Mark's final point or assignment of error oh. in his appeal was that he he claimed that he was denied a fair trial as a result of numerous discovery violations that denied him material evidence. Um, no. And the court said, no, no. we reviewed the purported violations and there's no prejudicial error here. No. So, for the following three years, Mark filed every reconsideration motion and appeal allowed. And they all said, no. No. In 2015, Mark filed a right of habeas corpus in a federal appeals court, which was also denied. So, to my knowledge, he remains incarcerated at the Marion Correctional Institution in Ohio, but he maintains that he is innocent. I don't think you are, but, you know, there's not often where people are genuinely kind of stuck in that middle where it could be a one way or the other yeah i feel more strongly about him doing it than i think of um the guy from the staircase really uh-huh i don't know i don't know how i feel about the staircase i can't remember his name now oh my gosh michael something is it peterson yeah michael peterson i don't know how i feel about michael peterson mm. i don't so yeah i feel more strongly about this than i do about michael peterson Okay. So I think he, I think that Mr. Wanger. Wangler. 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 There's just too many pervy jokes. To <laughs> I think Mark Dickler did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, you know, maybe one yeah. day on um something like on a different platform I'll talk about my all my thoughts on the Peterson case cuz I I think I bring it up a lot. You uh, have quite a bit. Because <laughs> I don't like the not knowing, and it it just, yeah. I think about it a lot. Anyway. Yeah. Well, anyway, let us know what you guys think. Do you yeah. think Mark Wangler is guilty? Okay, well, you know the rule. We have two emojis. Do you think he did or do you think he didn't do it? Oh. So if you think he did it, I want um, a little police emoji. Okay. And if you think he didn't do it, I want a little bird emoji because he'd be free as a bird. Yeah, that's what I got good. for you. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for this amazing coverage of this really, really, really cool case. It was interesting. 
Well, I hope I did it justice because I noticed after my research that a couple other podcasts have covered it mm-hmm. and they did two episodes. I think you did a great job. So, but I mean, I could see how you could get two episodes out of it. It's a lot. Yeah. Like if I had gone into more detail and the science and everything for sure. But I just kind of felt like I wasn't yeah. sure that people would be that that into that (laughs) i think you did an excellent job so uh yeah anyway let us know what you think give us a police or bird emoji on instagram or facebook or both both is great love to hear on both and yeah thanks for listening guys thank you we'll see you next week till next time Bye. bye Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.